Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Morning. It's good to see you. I mean, I'm going to miss that bumper uh, a lot. Uh, we actually, I cannot believe we are in the final week of this series, Jesus People, that we've been working our way through since the beginning of the new year. Just talking about these seven letters that Jesus writes to the churches in the book of Revelation. And so every week we've been journeying through uh, some of his words and kind of taking a trip to these ancient cities and talking through it. And so today we are wrapping up talking about the last letter to the last church in the city of Laodicea. And so uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm feeling good. I'm through two rounds of chemotherapy right now. And I just, again, just want to say thank you. Yeah. I want to say, uh, I don't take it for granted that I'm able to be here and just uh, be able to be a part of this right now. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the way that you're continuing to lift me and my family up. Man, uh, I, it is an incredible blessing that I'm feeling as good as I am and doing as well as I am. And so please keep praying. <laughs> We've got, still got a ways to go. Uh, keep praying that it continues to go as well as it does. Um, in our family, my family growing up, wilderness camping was a tradition. Uh, not like camping when you go to like a campground, but actual wilderness camping. It was a tradition in our family. From the time I was a kid, I can remember us doing this. Uh, I love what Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, said. Uh, he said, um, camping was actually a tradition in everyone's family until we invented the house, uh, which is absolutely true. But it actually, the, the whole idea of going out into the middle of the wilderness with nothing but your pack and trying to survive with what you bring in and what you, with what you carry out. That's something that our, my family has done for years and years. My dad really started us out doing that from the time we were uh, kids. And the name of the game, if you're going wilderness camping, is the list. You have to get the list correct. You have to make sure you plan and prepare and, and pack everything that you need ahead of time because there isn't like some store you can go to if you get out there. There is nothing worse then getting out in the middle of nowhere and realizing that you need something that you do not have. That is the worst feeling in the world. I remember one camping trip, my dad and I got out in the middle of the woods and we realized we forgot the matches. Well, I thought it was in your pack. No, you thought you put it in my pack. No, we literally, we had all this food we brought and we couldn't cook any of it because we couldn't start a fire. Uh, that was a crisis. There was one camping trip where we forgot the toilet paper. We don't speak of that camping trip in my family. <laughs> and as Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea here, essentially it's kind of like that. They're out in the middle of this wilderness following Jesus, learning what it means to be a church in the first century world, at the end of the first century. And Jesus is here writing this letter to tell them there's something that you're missing. You think you have everything you need. You think you're all good and there's nothing that's missing. And Jesus is here to tell you, you forgot something. And it's something so critical and something so important and so obvious, you would think there's no way that they could possibly miss this, and yet we miss it every single day in the church that we are in, even here at Frontline all the time. 
See if you can spot it as we read the text together. See if you can spot what it is that Jesus is pointing out. So this is Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, the final letter. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Now, we're just going to hit the pause button right here. There's more to this letter, and we'll, we'll come back to the rest of it here in the end. But let's just unpack what we just heard. So if you can, travel with me like we've been doing. We're going to travel to Laodicea in western Turkey, what's today modern western Turkey, at the end of the first century. And so if you could go ahead. To, yeah, this is, um, so this is Laodicea over here. Laodicea was actually on the southern edge of what's known as the Lycus River Valley. And it was this very, um, you know, affluent area. There was actually a major east and west trade route that went through the Roman world at the time on a Roman road. And so Laodicea, the town, started growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and more prosperous because they were right on this major trade route. Now, Jesus says to Laodicea, he says to them, the church there, he says, your faith is like lukewarm water. That's what we just read. Your faith is like this nasty, lukewarm water that I just want to spit out of my mouth, which is a pretty serious indictment. But what we know about Laodicea in this time actually has to do, what Jesus said actually has to do with the situation they were in when it came to their water. So if you notice, down here to their south, uh, there was the city of Colossae, and up here to the north, there was the city of Heropolis. Now, both Colossae and Heropolis both had their own unique water supply. In fact, Colossae was known all around the ancient world for being a place where you could get this cool, clear, pure, refreshing water. They were at the base of some mountains that are uh, here even to this day. And so um, this water that runs through even to this day is this cold, pure, like perfectly filtered water. And so if it was boiling hot, you knew Colossae is where you could get this fresh, cool water. Heropolis to the north has these natural occurring hot springs. In fact, to this day, people go to the hot springs. And and in Heropolis at this time, there were these hot baths that had been built. uh, So people, if they were sick or if they had problems, they would come and they would sit in these hot springs. So it was known for its hot water. Now, Laodicea had actually no really major water source of their own. And so as the city grew, as more and more people, you know, began to fill out the city, they needed water supply. And so what we found is that they actually used Roman aqueducts, the remains are still there today, uh, to actually pipe water in from both of these cities. But the problem was that by the time uh, the cool, clear, cold, refreshing water from Colossae made it all the way through the Roman aqueducts to the city of Laodicea, the water was not clear and cold anymore, it was lukewarm. That's right. And by the time the hot spring, the hot water made it all the way down to Laodicea, it was no longer hot anymore. It was lukewarm. Exactly. Not only that, but the water was nasty. 
Um, go ahead to that next picture. This is actually a, a broken open pipe from what's left of this, the, one of these Roman aqueducts. And you can see in there, it's filled with this carbon or calcium carbonate, which is just this nasty, murky stuff. You would have had to have like boiled the water or filtered it somehow, even, even after you got it in Laodicea. And Jesus basically is saying, your faith is just like your water. It's lukewarm. It's disgusting. I want to spit it out of my mouth. But why? Why does he equate their faith to to the same condition as as their water? What we know is Laodicea didn't see themselves that way. The city was very prosperous and very proud and very independent. What we know from history is that there was an earthquake in AD 60 in this whole area. It devastated towns and villages, and the city of Laodicea was devastated. And so the emperor at the time, his name was Nero, Emperor Nero came in and offered to rebuild Laodicea. He said, I'm going to rebuild it. I'm going to help you out. It's such a major city on a major trade route. So uh, Nero said, I'm going to come in and help you out. And Laodicea said, no, thank you. We can do it ourselves. They refused help from the emperor to rebuild their city. They said, we got this. We don't want to be in debt in any way. And so they actually rebuilt the the private citizens of that city, rebuilt the city themselves. The way they'd gotten so prosperous is a number of things. We know that they had a banking center. At the end of the first century, they had a banking center in Laodicea where you could get a loan, uh, where wealth could be shared for different projects and ideas. It was an incredible thing in the ancient world. Um, They had a medical center, and they were famous for inventing something called Phrygian powder. Phrygian powder was uh, used to make an eye salve that was used all over the Roman Empire. And they invented it and actually were the main contributors of it right there in Laodicea. But, but in addition to that, they had sheep that had black wool. Had to do with the diet of that particular region in that area. They were one of the few places where you could get black wool. And so they'd become incredibly wealthy from this. And Jesus speaks to the church here in this proud, wealthy city. And he says, you're missing something. Did you catch it? He says, you need to come to me to buy gold refined in the fire. They have a banking center. He says, you need to come and get white clothes from me to wear to cover your shameful nakedness. They made black wool, one of the few places you could get it. And he says, you need to get from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see. These are the inventors of Phrygian powder. Do you see what he's doing? You see what Jesus is saying? What, what Jesus is communicating to the church in Laodicea is what you have provided for yourself is insufficient. What you have done for yourself on your efforts and your abilities doesn't cut it. You don't realize it, Jesus says, but you are poor, wretched, blind, and naked, and you need to come to me. You need to come to me for what you need. The affluence in Laodicea had actually numbed their hearts in the church, and it actually sort of made them callous to their deep need for Jesus. And so basically, the question we're supposed to ask as we read this letter, the question we're supposed to ask is, what did Laodicea need that they didn't have? And in their minds, the answer was nothing. We got it. We got everything we could need. Are you kidding me? We're proud. We're independent. We've got our act together. And what Jesus is is communicating to them is your greatest need is for me. And I would argue it's still true today. The greatest need of any human being is Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the greatest need 
of any human being, of any of us, that the greatest threat that the people in the church of Laodicea, the Jesus followers, those who were actually in the church following Jesus, their greatest threat was not some immoral behavior. We compare this to some of the other letters we've read over the last few weeks. Thyatira, I mean, Jesus is like going at it, like you need to get your act together and stop participating in all this immoral stuff in your culture. That's not what he says to Laodicea. They're not participating in anything like that. He says to them, your, your biggest problem is your arrogance and your self-sufficiency. It's what spiritual writers for a few centuries now have referred to as the independent life. I can do it myself. The altar and the idol of I got it. I don't need your help. I can do it myself. So as we turn this toward ourselves a little bit today, as we leave the first century in Laodicea and as we arrive in 2021 and frontline, let's just ask the same question of ourselves. What do you need that you don't have? Do you think about your life? What what pops into your head right away? What do you need that you don't have? You know what I'm willing to bet? I'm willing to bet for most of us in this room and most of us watching online right now, when when I ask that question, what do you need that you don't have? Immediately something physical pops into your head, some sort of physical need. Uh, maybe it's financial related. Oh, if we could just get the extra money we need to pay that bill, to get out of debt, or to, to get a new car, to get that thing that we need, maybe that's where your mind goes. What do you need that you don't have? Maybe it's a baby. Maybe you've been trying to get pregnant and you can't, and it's just been this journey. And, and so in your mind, it's like, man, if God could just do that, if God could just answer that need, if he could just answer that, that prayer, everything would be better. Uh, maybe it's for healing. Maybe it's for health. That's, that's mine right now. That's where my mind goes. God, if you could just, you know, heal me. And immediately our minds go to somewhere physical. That, that's where our minds go. As a church, we say, well, what do we need that we don't have as a church, as frontline? I mean, we've talked about this before. We know eventually we're going to need a new roof, right? Uh, this roof ain't going to last forever with two feet of snow on it. We know that's a need of the church. We know we need a now-gen pastor, Right now, we're in this journey uh, right now to see someone uh, to lead our student ministry um, full time in a, in a permanent way. Um, we we need to know how to thrive in this new COVID world where you know things are online and in person. The, those are needs we have as a church. Th- those are things that we think about. That's, that's where our minds go immediately. But here's the what if: What if all the needs that we have as people and as a church are actually only there to point us? to our greatest need. What if whenever we experience a need, the point is not just that God would meet that need. What if the point is every need that we experience is actually intended to point us and make us aware of our real need and the greatest need that any of us really has is Jesus. What if we're supposed to become aware that we are poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked, and that we need to come to him for our deepest needs? I've been experiencing this. It's been strange coming to this passage this week. I've been experiencing this in a tangible way over the last month as I've gone through this treatment journey. Um, If you would have talked to me in December and said, Brian, are you fully devoted to Jesus? I would have said that's a weird question first. But then I would have said, absolutely, yes. And, And that would have been a true answer in December. I would have said to you, yes, I'm fully devoted to Jesus. But over the last month, as my mind you know, the biggest temptation for me right now is just to be focused on my need for healing and just my, my need for this. 
And what I'm beginning to realize is that as I've had to be weak, as I've had to receive from others, which is not a fun place for me to be in, as, as I've had to be, uh, you know, lower my expectations for what I can plan and expect for myself, as I've been going through all this stuff, what I'm realizing is, is that there are still parts of my heart that have not been fully burned away yet. I thought I was devoted. I thought I was. But maybe I was a little more lukewarm than I thought I was. There's still this part of me inside that wants to do it myself. Watch, I, I'm strong, I can do it myself. But what happens is when we experience need in our lives, it's hard to do it, but get your mind off your need and go, what is this need actually showing me about myself? It's showing me that I need help from the outside. It's showing me that I don't have it all together. It's showing me that I can't solve all of my own problems. As much as that's the way we want to believe about ourselves, it shows us our need for Jesus. So from this text, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. There are two ways that our needs can disconnect us from the person of Jesus. Two ways that when we experience need in our lives, they can disconnect us from the person of Jesus. The first one already popped up, there's scarcity. The second one is abundance. We're going to talk about both of those. So just go ahead and leave, leave that up there. Scarcity. When people are experiencing scarcity that actually can, can become a situation that disconnects them, even if they know Jesus and are following him. By scarcity, I mean you can't provide for yourself, you can't provide for your kids. When people are experiencing scarcity where they can't provide, they begin to believe all kinds of things about themselves that are not true. That I am a failure. That I am disposable. That... There's no help coming from the outside, that I am here all alone, that tomorrow is going to look exactly like today and nothing is ever going to get better, and that God has basically forgotten me. That's what people begin to believe when they experience scarcity. This is why over and over and over again in the scriptures, God calls the church, he calls his people to care for the poor, to care for those who are living in a place of scarcity. That's, that's why God calls his people to that, to remind those people there is a, a, a Christ, there is a, a, a balm in Gilead, there is provision for your need, and it's, it's through God. We don't do this very often, but I wanted to just share this with you. Um, Blake was just up here a minute ago talking about 2021 and all the things that were taken from us. I just want to share with you, in 2021 as a church, we've responded to those in scarcity in our community uh, we served around 300 families on a regular basis through our essential store in 2020, and there were 20 people who accepted Jesus right in the essential store. Uh, we sponsored, as Blake was just talking about, uh, around, what was it, 140 kids, uh, something, something like that, in Ukro, Ethiopia, and our family sponsors a child as well, and we still have kids that are un unsponsored, and we have this letter-writing uh, party that's happening today where you can go and be involved in that. But that, that's been a thing that's been an incredible life-giving opportunity for us as a church. Our mom's group collected 70 gift boxes for underserved children through Operation Christmas Child a couple months ago, which is incredible. Uh, and then, of course, Alpha, Blake mentioned that as well. It's a, a ministry to pregnant moms who, who are in crisis. There were nearly 40 people who volunteered there last month, and people in our church made well over 100 gift bags for the moms and dads and kids, which is awesome. And honestly, this is, the best is yet to come. We're, we're just beginning 
to get involved in, in these kind of things. We're just beginning, the, 2021 is going to be a year of serving. But uh, if I can be honest with you, there's a whole section of you, there's a whole chunk of you in this room and, and even watching online where when I read those numbers, uh, you don't care. I, I, would dis- I would define your response to it as lukewarm. It's okay. Don't feel bad. That's not meant to, to make you feel bad. There's a reason why you don't care. There's a reason why your mind checked out and you're just kind of like, it, it has to do with the second thing on this screen. You see, when we, are, when we are in a place of abundance, we don't have to have relationships with people who are in scarcity. We, we don't have to. It's a, it's a choice. And so the reason oftentimes we, we don't, our hearts aren't stirred is because we don't, here's what I've learned. When you have a relationship to those numbers I just shared, then you'll start to care. In other words, when it's your sister-in-law that accepted Christ at the essential store while she was there getting help, you will care about that number. When it's, you know, your friend's pregnant daughter that got help at Alpha, you'll care about that number. When that child in Ethiopia is not the sponsor number, ET5433, when that child has a name and your kids know that child's name and your kids pray for that child and their picture is up on your refrigerator, you will care about that number. What happens is when people are in a place of abundance, meaning they can provide a warm building on a cold day, we can solve most of our own problems. We can meet most of our own needs. What happens is we begin to believe things about ourselves that are not true. That I did all this, that I've provided, and that those people are fundamentally different than me. And what happens is we begin to become lukewarm. We begin to believe that we are the ones who have solved our, all our own problems. We begin to forget whose power it is that saves a life. We begin to forget whose power it is that redeems and reconciles, whose power it is that sets the captives free. We forget that our greatest need is the person of Jesus. We are all poor, wretched, blind, and naked, and we need Jesus. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all in the same situation. We all have the same deep need. And Jesus comes to this church in Laodicea and he says, you've missed it. You've missed it. You've disconnected yourself from the greatest provision that there is in this world. Every need you have is really not meant to just be there to be provided in this world, in this time, in this lifetime. It's there to point you to your deepest need for all of eternity. So what do you do if you're lukewarm? How do you, how do you deal with that? Jesus tells us exactly what to do. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Stop. Did you catch that? He said, look, I'm not here to condemn you about it. I'm not here to beat you up. That's not the point. He says, those whom I love, I'm rebuking you and disciplining you because I love you. It was his love that put him on the cross, not the Roman soldiers. He says, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. 
Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the metaphor Jesus uses here is that I'm standing at the door of your life. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. That's an important metaphor because if Jesus is standing at the door of our lives, if that's the answer to our lukewarmness and he's standing there and knocking, what that means is that you and I have a decision. Right? He doesn't say, I'm going to break the door down. I'm going to force my way into your life. That's not what he says. If he's standing at the door and he's knocking, then you and I have to make the decision to open the door. You have to decide what we're going to do with that. And that's what he's doing this morning. If you're watching online, if you're here in this room, maybe you feel it. Maybe you've known it all this week leading up to this moment. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. Every need you have is not just there to pester and annoy you. It's there to point you to your biggest need. And so the, the question of this entire series, what every week that we've been looking at boils down to is this question, what are you going to do with Jesus? We're not messing around here. What are you going to do with Jesus? He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. We have a decision to make. We have to decide, am I going to open the door or am I just going to be okay with him standing out there knocking? See, because that's the essence of lukewarmness, isn't it? The essence of lukewarmness is we want Jesus close, just not close enough to actually change something in our lives. Like we're, I'm fine with you, Jesus, being on the other side of the door and knocking. I'm, I, I want you there, actually. I want you pursuing me. I want you coming after me and loving me. I just don't want to open the door because if I let you in, then it means something in my life has to change. I'm here to tell you today, the greatest risk of your life is not what happens if you open the door and let Jesus in and he begins to change something. The greatest risk of your life is not opening the door, not letting him in and everything stays the same. And you stay lukewarm for all of eternity. That's the real risk. And so... What are you gonna do with Jesus? Do you, do you know that, does that word lukewarm, is that an indictment that you sense this morning and you would say, man, that's me? I wanna invite you to bow your heads with me. If you're watching online as well, let's just go into a posture of prayer. Here's what I wanna ask. As we're, as we're wrestling with this question, what are we gonna do with Jesus? If you know, man, it's time for me to open that door. Jesus has been knocking on that door for a while. I've heard it. I hear it this morning. I know it. And you know it's your time. It's, it's, your, it's your moment to open that door and let him in. I want to invite you to do just that. So as we pray, uh, just pray with me. And whether this is something you, you've never done before in your life, to invite Jesus into your life, to let him be Lord of your life, or whether it's something you did a long time ago and you walked away from God, you walked away from the church, and uh, you've lived a life of either lukewarmness or just being completely uh, far from God, make this your moment. So Jesus, right now we come to you. Jesus, I open the door to you right now. I invite you into my life. Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? Would you redeem me? Would you reconcile me? Um, God, I, I repent of the, the altar of do it myself. I, can, I repent of the ways in which I've tried to meet my own needs in my own way. And I, instead of allowing my needs to point me to you, I've, I've tried to power up and live the independent life on my own. I repent of that, God. I ask you to make me a new person in you. Would you 
come into my life? Would you make me whole in you? And would you give me the life that you've called me to live? We ask this in the risen and the resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. There's one more thing before we respond and sing this morning. If that was you, whether online or in this person, if you just gave your life to Jesus here in, the, in that moment, uh, there's something that's going to be popping up here on the screens. In the, if you're in the room, we would love for you to let us know. If you're watching online, it's on the lower third of your screen right now uh, to let us know that you made that decision because we want to walk with you. We want to help you in this journey of what it means to follow Jesus. And we want to celebrate what you've done and the decision you've made. And so we've been doing something here at Frontline ever since our Christmas services over here on this side of the room. And if you're online, you may not be able to see it uh, well, but there's a, a giant banner that just says Jesus, the name of Jesus. And it says he wrote his name into my story. And ever since our Christmas services, every time we've said for 2021, this is a year where every single time somebody opens the door to Jesus, every single time someone allows Jesus into their lives and they give their lives to Jesus, we want to write their name on the white letters of, of Jesus' name on that banner because his name is the only one that's gonna be for all of eternity, <laughs> amen? And so, uh, so if you are in the room as we stand and as we sing in a moment, if you wanna come over, we have clean pens to the right there. We would love for you to write your name on the white letters of Jesus. You can do it as we're singing. You can do it after the, as soon as the service is over. And if you're online, if you wanna follow the directions, we, would, we wanna write your name on that banner for you. You're a part of our community every bit as much, whether you're watching online or here in the room. And so um, our teaching pastor, David Dorner, is gonna be over here. And so anybody who, who responds online, he's gonna be able to write their name on as well. Uh, but let's stand in the room, shall we? And let's just respond. Let's end this series by exalting the one and only name that matters for all of eternity.